Good morning, everyone. And it's so good to be able to be back here. I've been away for three weeks, uh, just visiting family in, in Singapore. And uh, I didn't get a chance to, to greet those of you who are of Chinese descent. Uh, blessed Lunar New Year to every one of you, yeah? And may the Lord's um, blessing be with you throughout this new year. Amen. Uh, Thank God for this beautiful series that we are going through on the parables of the kingdom. Have you guys been enjoying it? Yeah, I think it's been wonderful. I've been listening to it online and I think it's, it's been great to be able to hear God's word uh, being opened up uh, to us. And today, I'm gonna continue that series and bring you to a very important pair of parables, which is the parable of the treasure and the pearl of great price. So if you have your Bibles, I'm gonna invite you now to turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Go to Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to read for you verses 44 to 46. As you are turning there, I remind you again, I'm looking forward to meet all of you online from tomorrow morning, 7.30. If you have not yet had that habit inculcated uh, in you, um, come and let's do this together, okay? And, and I hope uh, to be able to give you some frameworks in which you can practice uh, having a personal devotional time. 7.30 tomorrow morning. Go to fcc.life, click there, and you get everything. All right, Matthew chapter 13, I read for you from verses 44 to 46. Just a few verses, but packed full of wonderful things. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Father, may you open our eyes to behold the truth of your word this morning. Lord, may your word challenge us and remind us again of how precious your kingdom is to us. Your rule and your reign in our life is so critical, is so central that everything we do will revolve around it. So come and speak to us, whether we are here physically in Willerton or over in city campus or at NCLC or online, we pray that you will speak to us, every one of us. Convict us of how precious your kingdom is. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen, amen. You know, there was a missionary in Thailand when I first heard this story told about a young man that cannot stay focused uh, when it comes to his spiritual walk. He's constantly distracted by the wine, women, and song. And being in Pattaya, which is where the nightlife area of, of uh, Thailand is, uh, it didn't help. So he was constantly distracted. So his godly mother decided one day to teach him an object lesson, a lesson that he will never forget. So what the mom did was this, gave him a bowl filled with water to the brim and then said to him, if you can take this bowl, go one round around our block and then you come back without spilling a single drop. I will give you US $1,000. Immediately, the, the boy said, sure, sure, I'll take the challenge. So he took this bowl and he walked all around the house and uh, walked all around the block. And about 20 minutes later, he came back with the water still intact. And then 
Mom looked at it and said, very good, so gave him the prize money. Then he asked him, boy, when you're going around the block, did you stop for a drink? He said, no, 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 no. Did you meet any pretty girls along the way? No, 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 no. Did you stop for a smoke? No, 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 no. Then mom said, why not? You normally would, right? And the son said this. He said, you know, mom, I was keeping my eyes on the water in the bowl. Now, let me ask you, do you think he's that interested in the water? No. no. You know what he's actually keeping his eyes on? It's the price, right? It's the price that he's keeping his eyes on. So what's my point? My point is this. When you are focused on something that is precious to you, all other distractions actually fades away. And here's, my, here's, here's the point. Jesus put it this way. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I think this is what the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price is all about. I'm going to invite you now to look with me at this pair of parables and then let's unpack it. Firstly, I'd like you to notice that these parables were told only to the disciples when they were in the house and they were no longer on the beach with the crowd. Matthew chapter 13, verse 36, tell us this. Then Jesus left the crowd and he went into the house and then his disciples came to him. So what follows after that? The series of parables that follow after that was really for the disciples of the kingdom. It wasn't for the crowd now. It wasn't for those that are unbelieving. It was really targeted at those who are disciples of the kingdom. You got to get that in, keep that in mind. So from Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 to 46, Jesus told them two parables, which we all have read before, about a man who found a treasure in, in, in the ground and a merchant who found a pearl of great price. Both parables actually look very similar. And the ideas in, expressed in both the parables seems to be the same. But I'd like you to notice that the context, however, is different. So we're going to begin, one of the ways in which you can study the Bible is to look, when we are looking at something that is similar, we start by looking at the differences. And then the similarity becomes sharper. So let's, go, let's take a look at what is different in these two parables when you place them side by side. And here are the differences between the man who found a hidden treasure and the merchant who found a pearl of great price. What's the difference? The man actually found the treasure incidentally. He was digging around in the ground and boom, he came across a hidden treasure, right? But the merchant is actually looking for it intentionally. He's looking for the pearl of great price. See, the man... For, he, for the man that found a hidden treasure, it was a sudden joyful discovery. That's why with great joy, he went to sell everything. But for the merchant, it was a slow, diligent search. It was very intentional. He was searching for it. The, for the man, it was an emotional experience. It was joy, great joy. But for the merchant, it was a very deliberate decision. He has been looking. Finally found the one that was of great price. Now, here's my point. There are different routes that a person may take to actually come to the kingdom. There are different 
avenues in which people can come to faith in Christ. Some of us actually stumble into the kingdom, while others actually came because we were seeking. Is that correct? All of our experiences are different. Some of us are like Nicodemus in John chapter three, who came seeking after the kingdom. He's intentional about it. He was seeking after the kingdom. How do I know? John chapter three, verse one and two, tell us this. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. Very intentional. He came to Jesus and asked, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So he, Nicodemus, actually came to Jesus to find out if he was the Messiah. I think of him like the merchant searching for fine pearls, but when he found it, he was willing to risk all that he had for Jesus. For example, Nicodemus risked his position in the community as a Pharisee. He risked his position uh, when he defended Jesus. When the people begin to accuse Jesus of all kinds of things, so the Pharisees were accusing him, Nicodemus stood up. In, in John chapter seven, verse 50 and 51, listen to this. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked this, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? How many of you agree? He was defending the Lord. And he took a risk at that. He risked everything again when, when Jesus died because he went to claim the body of Jesus. See, on the cross. John chapter 19, verse 38 and 39. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Jesus was considered a huge criminal, but yet, Joseph of Arimathea asked the Pilate for the body of Jesus. Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came, took the body away. He was accompanied by who? Nicodemus. The man who earlier had visited Jesus at night and Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Question is this, why did Nicodemus risk his life and his entire career for Jesus? I'll tell you why, because he had found the pearl of great price and he was prepared to risk everything to gain the kingdom. But on the other hand, we have a guy like Paul, the apostle, who discovered the beauty of the kingdom of God when he least expected it. How many of you know, actually Paul wasn't looking for Christ. He wasn't. In fact, he was actively working against the Lord. He was on his way to actually destroy the followers of the kingdom, just trying to shut down the kingdom. In fact, he, called, he pride himself as a persecutor of the church. He was in fact on the way to persecute the church when God encountered him on the road to Damascus. Remember that story, right? He was struck off his high horse and he got up a changed man. From the greatest missionary against Christ, he became the greatest missionary for Christ. From a legalist, he became an evangelist. From a persecutor, he became a preacher. He was completely transformed and it was instantaneous. It was an instantaneous thing for him. How do I know? Acts chapter nine, verse 17 to 20. Listen to this. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it placing his hands on Saul, said this, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road that you were coming here, 
as you are coming here, have sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell off Saul's eyes and he could see again. So he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. So Paul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And then the scripture says this, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. It was a complete and sudden transformation. Paul was like the man who found the hidden treasure. He wasn't looking, just digging around, and he found it, and then he sold everything else so that he could buy the field that contains this treasure. So here's my point. It doesn't matter how you came into the kingdom. It's not so much whether you're the man or you're the merchant. Did you come to Christ incidentally or was it intentionally? What is the, was it the result of a sudden discovery or was it a deliberate search? Was it an emotional experience where you sense something wonderful or was it a, a deliberate decision? Whether you are first generation Christian or second generation Christian, whether you are, you are of uh, uh, Asian descent or you are uh, a Caucasian descent, it really doesn't matter because God will meet us according to where we are. God will meet us where our personality is. God knows what you need in order to bring you to that point, you see? And God sees all these things. I found that in all my years of observing people coming to Christ, there are many ways in which people can come to faith. It's almost like so many different routes, you know. Some people actually came philosophically to the, to the careful study you know, of, uh, of a thoughtful study of philosophy like a C.S. Lewis or Lee Strobel or something like that. Just thoughtful people who study to find out the truth. There are some who came textually through a careful study of the scriptures and then they were convicted by the scriptures. You get a guy like Martin Luther. That's how he started even thinking about faith. There were some who came to faith because of history, archaeology, and they look at every, some came scientifically because they come to a conclusion that there must be a creator God somewhere. There are those who come to faith existentially, experientially, because they, had, they were healed or because they had a worship encounter. And then they were all end up crying and weeping all over the place, you know, snout coming out. And then they know, wow, God must be real. There's so many ways that people come to, to that point. And, and the thing is, this, the truth is this, I think that Christianity is the most reasonable faith. But it's not so reasonable until you don't need faith. Because people can come to this conclusion that, oh, Christianity is a reasonable faith. But no matter what route you take, archaeologically, textually, scripturally, existentially, we all come to this cliff, you know that you have to, okay, it makes so much sense to me. It's so reasonable and Christianity must be real. But then you come to this cliff and you know that the truth is somewhere there. But ultimately, you still need to take that leap of faith. You still need to taste and see that the Lord is good. Are you with me? Yes. You still need to come to this. It's a little bit like Harrison Ford, you know, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Do you see that one? They were looking for the ark, right? And finally, they come to this place where he know, the, uh, they come to this cliff, right? And over the other side, he know the ark is there. But how do I get there? There's no bridge. You know what he needed to do? He need to step out. But I'm not going to do it, but you, <laughs> he, he need to step out. 
And when he stepped out into nothingness, the bridge appeared under his feet. And then he got over to the other side. Guess my point? Ultimately, we have to take that leap of faith, no matter how reasonable, uh, how we work it out. Ultimately, we take a leap of faith. And that's how it all becomes real. So here's the thing. Most importantly, now that you have found the kingdom, now all of us have come various ways and now we are ultimately taking, taking the leap of faith and we have found the kingdom, right? So then what? Now the most important thing is now that you have found the kingdom, the most critical thing is how do you treat this hidden treasure? How do you value this pearl of great price? How do you respond to the fact that I am now, I have found this treasure, I've found this pearl of great price. What are we going to do about it? And in reading these two parables, I found only one key thing, one common thing between these two parables, and it's this, listen carefully. Both the man and the merchant did not hesitate to sell everything they have in exchange of what they found. That is the common lesson. The point of this parable, my friends, is this. The kingdom of God must be our central pursuit. And whatever we must give up to keep this kingdom is worth it. Somebody ought to say amen. That's the whole point of these two parables. Matthew 13, verse 44, put it this way. When the man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, because it was a sudden discovery, he went and sold everything he had. He bought that field so that he can get that treasure. Matthew 13, verse 46. When the merchant found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and he bought it. There was no hesitation. This is a no-brainer. They have found that hidden treasure. They have found a pearl of great price. Everything else fades in comparison. And that's why one did it with great emotion, with great joy. The other did it with clear deliberation. But the point is this, they both sold everything they had to keep what they found. Why? Because the pursuit of the kingdom must be central. And it is worth it. The kingdom of God, the rule and reign of Christ in our life cannot be a by-the-way thing. Hear me, people. We are in this for the long haul. It cannot be a by-the-way thing. It is central. The pursuit of the kingdom must be front and forward. It must be everything or nothing. It has to be central. It must mean everything to you and I. Jesus is either Lord of all or He is not Lord at all. There's no in-between. You're either pregnant or not pregnant. I remind you again. It cannot be little bit pregnant. No such thing. You see, and Jesus is either everything or nothing. So if our attitude towards Christ is take it or leave it, you better leave it. You might as well leave it. Is there a price to pay? for pursuing the kingdom, you bet. But it is worth it. And I'll tell you from experience, I've been in this for 40 years now and still going. And I can still say it right from the start, I'll say it right now. It is worth it. Absolutely worth it. 
Absolutely. Now, does this mean, therefore, that you and I can buy the kingdom of God Israel if we're willing to pay the asking price? Of course not. The Bible has made it clear that salvation and entry to the kingdom of God is a gift. It's not something you and I can work for or can earn, right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, memory verse, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. But here's the thing, even though it's free, it is valuable. It's free, but it is priceless. And this is what these parables are all about. It teaches us how valuable the kingdom of God must be to us. It's challenging us to value what we have found as subjects of the kingdom. And so often, I think we lose the wonder of salvation. We lose the wonder of founding this hidden treasure, this pearl of great price. And then we take it all for granted. And then we no longer value, really. We no longer place great value in Christ. We lose sight of this hidden treasure, this pearl of great price. And here's the principle. What you fail to recognize, you will fail to value. And what you fail to value, you will fail to celebrate. What you fail to celebrate, you will fail to enjoy. And what you fail to enjoy will not last. You want that passion inside you to last? You start at the beginning. I must recognize how precious it is. How precious a treasure we have found. What a pearl of great price. You've got to feel it inside. And if you really recognize it, then you will value it. If you value it, you will celebrate it all the time. You tell everybody about it. And what you celebrate all the time, you will enjoy. And then walking with Jesus is no longer a chore, it is a delight. It's no longer just a duty. It's a delightful thing. You wake up every day joyful that I'm a Christian. And what you enjoy will last. And it will keep you fired up. But if you don't recognize it, you're not going to value it. Then it just, by the way. You know, I like this story. There was a rich guy, you know. He wanted to give his mother a very special 70th, birth, 70th year birthday, right? So he went around and he discovered, you know, there is a bird, a special bird that can actually speak 4,000 words in three different languages and can sing 30 different karaoke songs in Chinese. So he was so excited, he immediately ordered the bird, he bought it for $50,000, had it delivered to his mom. The next day, he called his mom up and said, Mom, what do you think of the bird? And she said, son, it was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> she missed the point entirely. <laughs> what about you and I? Do we realize what we have found? Do we really value the kingdom that we have come into? And the kingdom of heaven is like this hidden treasure in the field. We will sell everything so that we can buy that field just to lay hold of that treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like that pearl of great price. Everything pales in comparison to the king and his kingdom. And we must hold on to this. You've got to feel it. You know, the, in, in Indonesia... I just came back from Indonesia, so 
You know, in Indonesia, one of the delicacies of the Indonesian people, monkeys' brains. They love eating monkeys' brains. You, know? you actually cut the head, skull off, and they suck it. <laughs> Just, uh, what? How, how nice can that be? <laughs> I have no idea, but they love it. But the thing is, how do you catch a monkey? Have you ever seen a monkey run? It's faster than you think. You know, how do they catch it? Here's how they catch it. I was told, you know. They actually duck a, dig a hole in the ground. Then they put peanuts inside. So the monkeys will come out after a while and get to the peanuts, put the hand in, grab a handful of peanuts, and then found that can't come out. And that's when the farmer will come with a net to capture them. At that point, the monkey has got to make an executive decision. Do I let go of the peanuts and keep my head? Or do I hold on to the peanuts and lose my head? <laughs> I think the man with the hidden treasure, the merchant who had found the pearl of great price, made that decision. And the decision was they let go of the peanuts of this world so that they can gain the kingdom of God. The hidden treasure, the pearl of great price. The great missionary Martha, Jim Elliot, wrote this. He is not a fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So my challenge to you, my friends, don't exchange the kingdom for anything, but exchange anything else for the kingdom. Get that right. I'm reminded of Moses in the Old Testament. He made that choice. Hebrews 11, right, 24 to 26. By faith, Moses, who had grown up, refused to be known as a son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He, dis he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Moses was willing to forsake worldly fame and pleasures for the things of God. Why? Because his heart was set on things eternal, not temporal. He regarded all, he chose suffering and disgrace to gain that eternal reward. Why? He valued the rewards of, in Christ above the treasures of Egypt. Verse 26, he put it this way. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. And that's why Moses was able to forsake short-term pleasures for long-term rewards. What about you and I this morning? As I read that, I, I was reminded, you know, of someone that many of us know, I thought about Samantha Chiu, you know, <laughs> who is soon to become a missionary uh, from FCC to Japan. We're going to send her out to Japan uh, in, in March. And I went to Japan together with her uh, and a few of my friends to actually check out the, the ground, you know, together with her. And, and while I was there, I get the opportunity to hear her story, how she... Uh, how she come to this decision. And I hear a story while traveling with her uh, in our adopted city of Fukuoka. I found out that she was actually due to be promoted in her teaching job in Kerry Baptist. But she heard the call of the king and she chose to obey her God. She let go of the peanuts of her career 
and exchange it for the pleasure of a king. And I think this is the outworking of the rule and reign of God in a disciple's life. And my prayer is that her tribe will increase, that we will see more, some entertudes coming out of FCC. At the same time, I've seen others who gave up the kingdom because of a hobby that they enjoy too much, you know, a habit that they cannot give up, a relationship that they cannot let go of, or a career that takes precedence, you know, over the call of God. Um, and they have exchanged the kingdom for what they cannot let go. And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 35 to 37, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the kingdom, for the gospel, will save it. But what good it is for someone to gain the whole world, but yet forfeit their soul? For what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Can I leave this with you? I think God is ready to assume full responsibility for a life that is yielded, completely yielded to Him. Can I say it again? I think that God is ready to assume full responsibility for a life completely yielded to Him. If we are prepared to fully surrender, God will assume responsibility for us. Let me end with this. I read about this great legend, you know, that was told about the great emperor Charlemagne uh, of the Roman Empire, that when he was dying, he actually requested for his body to be entombed in a certain way. And this is what he said to his followers. He said, I want you to put me into my tomb, seated on my throne, a crown on my head, a scepter of power in my right hand, a royal robe on my back, and I want an open book on my lap. 210 years later, in AD 814, the Emperor Othello came to the throne. And he wanted to know if the followers of Charlemagne actually did what he wanted. So he ordered for the tomb to be open. And what he saw was a gruesome but unforgettable sight. When they opened up the tomb, they found Charlemagne's body was totally decomposed. The crown on his head was tilted. The scepter has fallen to the ground. The cape totally decayed. Only the book you know, was still open. And it turned out to be the Bible. And the bony finger of Charlemagne was pointing to one verse in the Bible. Mark chapter 8, verse 36. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? How true, isn't it? What a picture. I'll never forget reading it in one of Max Lucado's book. And it, it painted a picture in my mind. That how often it is, you know, we got it all mixed up. And we totally didn't value it right. And it's the opposite, you know, of what this man and the merchant in the parable Jesus told. They lost everything to gain the kingdom. And that's what we're talking about. And my final challenge to you as a congregation today as we move into this new year 
is for all of us really to live out Matthew 6.33. But seek first and foremost His kingdom and His righteousness. And then all these other things will be added unto us. And church, I want to challenge you today. Let go of the peanuts of this world. And for something that will last to eternity, that's the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of Christ in our life. And I ask you today as we reflect on this, will you live according to His Word? Will you inquire of His Holy Spirit? Is He truly King over your life, your family, your possession? Does He really rule over our money, our time? Does God really dictate our future? Or do we control ourselves? Are we willing you know, to actually obey when He calls? And will we enthrone Jesus in our heart and really make Him King? Will we be like that man who have found this hidden treasure of the kingdom with joy? We give out everything to buy that land. Will we be like that merchant who have found a pearl of great price, sell everything we had? Let's keep this pearl. Amen. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Would you stand with me as we pray? Thank you, Lord. Whether we come into the kingdom like the man as a joyful discovery all of a sudden or we came because it was a deliberate search the most important thing is what do we do with it now that we have found that treasure now that we have found that pearl of great price will we let it be central in all of our pursuit will it become front and forward in everything that we do every decision we make let His rule be real in our life I'm going to pray and then release City Campus and then I want you to make a response to the Lord. Father, I pray this morning that you will speak to us a simple word that you've given. May it not just educate our mind, but may it convict our hearts so that once again, our hearts can feel the passion of this wonderful treasure we found, this pearl of great price that we you have given to us. Then God teaches how to swing everything around it so that your kingdom becomes central in our life. So come and speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.